Gospel of Matthew again. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 6 is where we are. As you make your way there, we're in the Lord's Prayer. Let's go ahead and pray again. Father, we love you tremendously. We really do, Lord. We want to know you. We want to see you. We want to understand you, Lord. We want to hear your voice. We don't want to just have a Bible study, Lord, for knowledge. But we want to sit at your feet and be transformed into your image, to have our actions, Lord, guided by your will in our life. So for the next little bit, Lord, as we open up your word and sit at your feet, speak to us. Let us hear your voice. Let us know. Let us understand. Give us your spirit, Lord, to hear. Give us your spirit, Lord, for the power that we need to obey. Knowing, Lord, that you're our source, you're our creator, you're our provider. You are good. You are holy. And there's coming a day where we're going to see you face to face. Thanks for that hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's, uh, we are going to talk about God being our provider today. Um, last week, as we were sitting in the nativity story, you know, the Lord took me back to Genesis 22, and that's where we were last week. But in Genesis 22, Abraham gives this name to, for God. And the name for God is that God provides, that he is our provider. Um, sitting in that definition, it, it's cool when you experience God personally in a way where he becomes real to you. So as we sit in this subject matter of this, this title for God, this is, this is a very real and personal name uh, and attribute and a character of God for me. Because there have been many circumstances in my walk with the Lord where I have had to wait and be patient and trust in him to provide for my circumstances. And this isn't just a relationship that I live with God in history. It's a relationship that I live with him day by day. I have all kinds of needs that I need God to give me wisdom. I need God to provide, whether it's a person, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's knowledge, whether it's finances. I'm a constant beggar before God. God, what's your will for my life? Here's what I see, and I know that what I see is limited in my perspective and my understanding and, and what I think needs to be provided. And I've learned over time that blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, he grants to us, he provides for us. At the same time, the Lord takes. We like it when he gives. We like it when he gives what we want. We don't like it so much when he takes, especially when he takes something that we don't want him to take. As we sit with Job in that, in that chapter and just his attitude and all that the Lord had given him and all that the Lord had taken away from him, it's still blessed be the name of the Lord. He's good. As we've sat in this, in this prayer that Jesus is instructing us in our conversation with God, that's the major premise. Here's the nature and the character of our Father. So let's, let's read through this prayer, and I'll give you a little bit, well, I'll give you just some of my personal daily testimony from this week. Jesus is essentially in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew. 
He's communicating to us the kingdom of God. He's communicating to us the righteousness of God. In this section, he is talking about the righteousness that we have from God through faith and how that righteousness plays out in our life and behavior. As he's talking about our communication to God in prayer, the major emphasis is that this is not a theatric performance. You actually have a real relationship with your creator, just like you have a relationship with family members and other human beings. And you're to engage God as such with an attitude that he is God, that he is holy, that he is good. Um, but at the same time, this isn't just some religious mythology behavior, but he is really here. He is really listening. He really sees. He really cares. And he is all that he claims to be. So in verse 9, it says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, separate, dedicated, devoted, be your name. And again, notice it's our, this is, yes, this is your personal prayer, but this is our prayer. He is our Father. May he be holy and devoted and sanctified and separate in our minds, in our lives, in our speech, our actions. A couple of weeks ago, sitting in the idea of his kingdom coming, all that he defines his kingdom as, as king, as the sovereign, that means his plans and his purposes, his will is going to be performed. This idea of the pursuit of his kingdom, seeking his kingdom to be in your life today, seeking his will for your life today, is a way that we keep God's name holy and distinct and separate in our lives. We want all of this to be happening on earth today just as it is in heaven. This idea that his kingdom already has come as he's ruling and reigning in our lives through faith, but one day his kingdom is coming for all. Today we're going to sit in verse 11, which is give us this day our daily bread. So we'll come back to that. Forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our sins. It's really cool. It's, it's easy to run to God to ask him for forgiveness for where you've messed up, where you failed and you know it. And he's drawing out that confession of your soul. But praying for, praying for God to forgive the sins of your brothers and sisters in Christ, whether you know them or not. We all hear lots of church stories and this person falls and here's this issue over there. And taking that to the Lord in confession and prayer, Lord, forgive them. So many things are done in ignorance and foolishness in the name of man, in the name of a ministry. God, forgive us of our sins. May we have a forgiving heart towards others, Lord, because we know that we're beggars. We need your forgiveness. And we need to image your forgiveness to others, Lord. So may we forgive others who are in debt to us. Don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is a great prayer. We are going through it slow because it is very deep. One of the interesting as we sit in... Well, we're going we're gonna to say that idea for next week. So here's me this week. This prayer, that we're, the portion of this prayer that we're going to press into today is God being our provider. Lord, give to me, grant to each one of us a, a grant. This is a, this is a gift. This is something that 
uh, you've asked for. So you've asked for God to provide something. You've asked for God to give you something. And this idea of him giving it to you in response to your request, this is him granting your request is the emphasis. But it's give to us this day. That means give to us today our daily bread. This word for daily, it's only used here in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and in Luke. Uh, the theologians, they think that this was a word that was invented by Mark, invented by, you know, whoever, the, the early church. They're using this word to express this idea of God providing for us day by day. So it's this, this emphasis on a daily relationship is our understanding of what the word means. So throughout history, there's been debate and discussion on, well, what's the emphasis? Is it on today? So as we were here in the early morning, we're asking God for his provision for whatever the daily need is. So bread, it's, it's something that we need. It's our sustenance. This can be something physical. This can be emotional. This can be spiritual. This can be Jesus himself as we define bread. And we're going to spend a lot of time in that this morning. But what's this idea of daily? Does that mean today, right now? So as we're in the morning and we're praying for God to provide for us today our daily bread, we're asking them to provide for what he knows that we need today. But if you pray this prayer in the evening, today's already in the past, right? So part of this idea conveys, and some of the translations will come out, Lord, provide for us today tomorrow's bread. In the sense of, Lord, we're looking for you to be our provider today according to your will. And at the same time, we're also looking for you to provide what's needed tomorrow. As I lay my head on the pillow tomorrow, all of tomorrow's checklist is going to be running through the mind, right? We all have needs that we're going to need to process through tomorrow. So that's part of this prayer also. Some people sit in the eschatology of this, the end times idea of this, that it's not until ultimately that his will, that his kingdom comes, that that ultimate provision is going to happen. There's that idea in there, yes. But what this request is, this is for very real today specific needs. And this is the idea that's come up this week. I've had this conversation a couple of times. As we process through our relationship with God, I find it very easy to trust in God for that intangible, I can't touch, I can't see salvation, redemption. I sit in God's promises and revelation about himself, his nature and his character. I sit in the testimony of the cross and his resurrection. I believe this stuff. I know this stuff. I've encountered God in so many different ways in my life that I can't deny any of this history. But in a lot of the ways that God speaks, the promises that he gives, they're, they're things that we really can't wrap our hands around. We believe and trust in God for our future salvation. He is going to come. And whether we are dead and buried and our spirit is gone to be with the Lord, there, there is coming a future resurrection. But that's, that's a hope. That's a faith. There's, there's substance to that faith, and I believe it. But it's easy for me to believe in that far off and tangible stuff that God is going to come. What gets harder in our flesh is trusting God for the daily need. Like, do you think that God cares about providing for your clothes, your home, your shelter, your job, the parking spot? 
everything about what you need today as a beggar, is he really there providing for you? And this is a question that you have to answer for yourself in your relationship with God. Because often, again, it's very easy to, I believe in God for this intangible idea out here. But when it comes to the very tangible thing that I need today, we often will press into our own ideas, our own way of getting that, our own way of forcing that thing to happen, whatever it may be, rather than just trusting him to perform his will in our life. And this is why, this is how some of this idea has been brought up even in my own um, life this week. Can you tell that I'm off this morning? Like, I'm not, I'm not chipper. I've been depressed all week. I've had, like, Christmas, absolutely great. My family's here. I got to introduce all my family that was here last week. They're all here again this week. Had a fabulous Christmas together, playing games together, having dinner with one another. Celebrating my dad's birthday on Friday, awesome time. Going out with my sister and her husband last, last night. Like, I've, I've had a great time in fellowship and relationship. So that has nothing to do with, like, my depression. My depression right now, it's not spiritual. I'm not out of sorts with God. I'm not uh, harboring sin in any fashion. Um, my depression is not mental. Like I'm not, I don't feel like I'm off in my thoughts or discouraged or I'm sitting in some little mental trap or whatever. I was defining this for my mom this morning. Like I've been off physically all week. Anybody else depressed by the drizzly Seattle rain that we've had all week? It's been soggy and cloudy. I was walking down here this morning on the sidewalk and the sun was out and I'm praising God for sunlight. Uh, sitting in my house last week, uh, yesterday with my sister and my brother-in-law, we're having a conversation. It was cloudy all day long. And before the sunset, the sun started to come out. And I mentioned it because I've been like in this grayness physically. I woke up on Tuesday with a sore throat. So I know that I'm, my body's fighting some kind of sickness. I'm eating all kinds of sugar and junk food. So how much has that impacted my, even my, how I feel physically? You know, pounding some sugar cookies with all the, uh, the food coloring and all this extra sugar. This stuff impacts our thought processes, right? So I'm expressing all this to you, not for you to psychoanalyze me, because I know how weird I am. Trust me, I know I, I, I'm not blind to my issues. I'm not expressing all this to, for you to spiritually analyze me either. I've just been in a funk. God's been with me the whole, whole week. Uh, this has been because I've been sick. I haven't gone into work, so I've just been working here by myself in my office. God's given me a specific project in my job that I've just been able to plug in and just kind of plod along. A whole bunch of people have taken the week off, so I haven't been getting all these interruptions that drive me nuts anyway. So God's kind of like protected me from that. And I've just been able to kind of process and plod along. But at the same time, like I didn't press into studying for this morning's message until yesterday. I didn't want to study. And it wasn't because I wanted to avoid God. Again, I'm not harboring anything, but I'm just in a funk. So I bring all that life experience up to say is like, you may have been in the same funk this week. 
There may have been other news that's come into your life that's, you know, it's stressful, it's, it's worrying. Um, you may be depressed in just how you're wired in general. Maybe you've been in a funk for a decade or multiple decades, and this is what you process through every single day. And this is getting into this idea, God is our daily provider. He is with us right now. He has been with me all week. Part of that, I was talking to my mom this morning, so we, we often have, you know, we, we meet for prayer, and she's always in there, and we usually have extended conversations. So in that extended conversation with her, like, I don't know if God's kept me in a funk all week to just minister to one person in this room specifically this morning. Like, you're just in a funk, and life is gray, and you're waiting for the sun to come out, you're waiting for Jesus to shine, and you don't know when it's going to happen. I'm here to bury the testimony to you. He's with you right now. And all of his light and all of his glory, he sees you, he knows you, he loves you. He truly has a plan. He truly has a purpose. And how do you enter into that? How do you press into that even when you don't want to? That's the journey we're going to go on this morning. As Jesus is giving us the instruction, in your conversation with God, You're needy. And before you even ask God for the needs that you have, he knows that you need them. But he wants to draw out of you those requests and this conversation for you to know and understand and to have this great confidence that the requests that you ask of him, God, today, give me in in your attribute of grace, in the generous God that you are and that you have given yourself fully to me, I know that. Give to me today what I need today. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, conversationally, discernment, whatever it is, Lord, I trust you. And here's here's the journey. Uh, Throw the verses up on the wall. We are going to skip on the surface of these. So I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Not a single one of these passages would take our whole time to study verse by verse. So I'm not going to do a lot of reading of God's word this morning. But I am going to cherry pick a lot of lines out of these passages as ways of encouragement for you to know and understand God is provider. And not just provider for the spiritual things and the big things and these theological things, but for every specific personal need that you have, he is there to provide. Hebrews 11, the book of Hebrews, I absolutely love. All of it is conveying how Jesus is better. At the end of chapter 10, it is conveying this whole need that we have of endurance. Physically, this week, I have needed God to provide for me the energy, physically, mentally, and spiritually, to take care of the things that I need to take care of this week, the tasks that I need to take care of. In that need, I've been asking for God to give me that diligence, to give me the endurance that I need, This uh, quote out out of the end of 10, that the just shall live by faith, that's out of Habakkuk. It's quoted a few times in the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, here in Hebrews. 
But what I want to get to is that subject matter and our need for endurance. The just shall live by faith. Chapter 11 gives us this incredible definition and examples of here's, here's what faith really looks like. Not just in this statement that I believe, but because I believe, here is how I am choosing to act. And here's all these incredible uh, testimonies of history that we can press into in the word of God. But there's this definition, faith is it's the substance of things hoped for. It's not just this intangible idea, but faith has meat on it. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more confidence is generated. And this confidence is, again, it's, it's nobody can challenge debate, take away from me my knowledge and understanding of God because of my life experiences that I've had with him. I am 100% confident that this document communicates to me who he is, not just because this tells me so, but because I've lived out what this document tells me in so many different ways. I know God is my provider. So my faith, it has a substance. It has something that's Firm. It's not just this intangible thing. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence. It's the convincing evidence of things not seen. It's by faith that we understand. Uh, by faith, the elders, this, this testimony that he's going to walk through of all these people in the Old Testament, the elders obtained a good testimony. But by faith, we understand that the world's what exists that they were framed by the word of God, that the things which are seen, that the tangible things that, we're, that we see, that they were not made of things that are visible. This isn't just some evolutionary process. The divine God has set all this into motion. Jump down to verse six. This idea, it says, without faith, it's impossible. You are, you have no power to please God without having a confidence and an understanding of who he is. Whether your faith in him is a baby faith, it's new, you don't have much knowledge, you don't have much wisdom, you don't have much understanding. Faith is what pleases him. That God, I believe, and here it says that um, without faith it's impossible to please him. Uh, for he who comes, he who approaches God must believe, one, that he is, that he exists, and that, two, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's this, God is always drawing us to approach him. And as you approach him, we are to come to him in this great confidence, like, God, I believe that you are who you say that you are. So as we enter into this prayer with him, God, I'm, provide, I'm asking that you would provide for my needs today, that you'd provide for my needs tomorrow. Not my greeds, but Lord, you know, I want your will to be performed. I want your kingdom to come. I want you to be who you say that you are to me in knowledge, in understanding, in experience. And we're entering into this conversation through faith. God, I believe that you are. And I believe that you're going to reward me, that you're going to reward us. Not with the tangible stuff, even though you're going to give me the tangible stuff that I need. But you're going to reward me 
with you. And that's the ultimate goal of this whole conversation of asking God, God, today, provide for my daily needs today with bread. Now, when Jesus presses into this idea of bread, when you study this out, bread shows up everywhere. It's all over the gospel. We'll, we'll press into a lot of those different ideas. Bread comes up in a, in a story about a woman's great faith and Jesus holding up this woman as an example of great faith. Bread is there. In the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000, this idea of bread is there. Bread is there in this idea of service. When God is sending you out into the mission field, one of the instructions was don't take bread. Why, why is bread in that conversation? Don't provide for yourself is the idea. I will provide for your daily needs. When you're out there in the mission field, you'll be worthy of your bread. Don't uh, live out your life in a way in quietness, in peace, eating your own bread. This idea of bread comes up over and over because it's an image for us of we have a daily need to eat. The only reason we don't eat is if there's a famine, that provision is lacking, or if there's this intentional fast, which we'll end up getting to in Jesus' sermon. But this idea of daily bread, it is, uh, I want you to turn back to Exodus chapter 16. It is not just the, this intangible idea of Jesus as bread, as the provision from heaven. And we'll get into that conversation for sure as we process through this. But the very real daily need that you have it's both as we're engaging God and asking for him to provide. When you sit in this testimony of Exodus 16, God has just delivered his chosen people, this nation, out of slavery, out of Egypt. So the Jews, the nation of Israel, are understanding that the population is two to three million souls God has just Purchased, He is redeemed. He is bought out of their slavery, out of Egypt, and he is bringing them and leading them out by himself. He's used this man, Moses, as a prophet. Moses becomes this incredible prophet, a mediator. He's imaging for us Jesus in so many different ways. But it's in the scene as God has delivered us out of this world. He's bringing us to himself we have been saved. Chapter, uh, chapter 15, it's known as the Song of Moses. It's the Song of Salvation. It's awesome. But now as he's leading his kids into the wilderness, now there's a breaking of Egypt, breaking of the world out of his children. And this is our life experience. This is to image us. This is for us to know and understand what this process looks like. Because there's nothing new under the sun. We all travel through this life experience. And here's the life experience. They're 45 days out of their deliverance. God is there. He's in the cloud. He's performed all these miracles. The entire population has experienced these miracles. First place that God leads them to is in the wilderness. So in the desert where water is extremely valuable and the water is bitter. And in this story, God tells them, look at this tree. Why a tree? The only reason to me, the only reason it makes sense is it's an image of the cross. You're dealing with 
bitter water in your life, you got a bitter soul, you got a bitter mind, it's turn your attention to the cross, tells him to throw this tree in the water, it becomes sweet water. God leads him to another place where there's all these wells and there's all these palm trees, it's a great place. But at the beginning of chapter 16, 45 days out, and the people are, listen to this, chapter 16 says, they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, not sin with our idea, but, you know, anyways, sin, it's a place location. It's not the wilderness of sin as we would think of it. Does that make sense? Which is between Elam in Sinai on the 15th day of the second month that they had departed from the land of Egypt. And then it says the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And this complaining, this word means that they're murmuring. They're grumbling. So as then they're in their homes, spouses talking to each other, siblings talking to each other. They're in their social groups and they're murmuring. They're complaining. Anybody? Yeah, we don't complain. They're complaining against who? Moses, against their and Aaron. They're their leaders, their government leaders, their spiritual leaders. Says the children of Israel, they come to him and says, oh, listen, listen to their heart. Listen to what they're saying. Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat. And when we ate bread to the full, you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Listen, they're saved. They've been delivered. Don't want raise of hands because my dad tells me never to raise your hand if a pastor ever asks you to raise your hand. Good advice. Every single one of us are really good at complaining in our flesh. We're really good about complaining about our spouses, complaining about our kids, complaining about our church, complaining about our job, complaining about our neighbors, complaining about our government, murmuring. Complaining, chatter, gossip, bitterness. Why? Because we don't like what God's provided. So in this prayer, God, today, give to us according to your will, according to your name, the provision that we need for today, our daily bread. And so often God gives it, right? And you're sitting in that provision. And as you're sitting in that provision, you don't like it. So you start complaining against God. We would be a holy nation if only we had holy leaders. Anybody? 24, here we are at the, the, the head of a brand new year. It's an election year. Anybody going to listen to complaining about politics and politicians and economy? If only this person would be in office, then we would be a godly nation. No, not that person. We need this person. Then we would be. Are we going to listen to the chattering? And we're all going to listen to it to some degree or another. But the danger and the test and the transformation in this process is, God, I trust you. I'm asking that you would provide, I'm asking that you'd make me a godly leader in my home to, and servant to my wife and my kids. 
Lord, make me a godly leader within this congregation. Lord, make me a godly man within, within my, my job context. Help me to be a godly man in this community. I see my lack. I complain uh, about my issues with myself. I see the lack in other people. It's really easy to complain and murmur. This is the trouble that we get into when we know that we're to look to God to be our provider, but when we're really not trusting God to be our provider in our daily context, and he puts us in a daily context where he's testing us. And that's what we watch through this whole journey of the nation of Israel. As they're leaving, they're complaining. They're complaining about the, the past, the, the good old days were so much better in their minds to their current context. And in this, the Lord is communicating, even in their complaining, he's going to bless. So in verse 4, it says, Behold, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day. Literally, that certain quota every day, it's the portion of a day in its day is the language. So when Jesus is telling us this is how you need to communicate to God in your request for your daily needs, he's pointing to this example. And it's something that the culture would know and understand. Just like God provided the daily bread, and it was to be a day-by-day, go out and get your daily quota for the day in its day, is the language that Jesus is communicating. He's saying, God says that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be that on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much um, as they gather daily. So it says that Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel at evening, here's the thing, you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And this is fresh. You shall know that the Lord has saved you. You shall know that the Lord is. You shall know that the Lord is your provider. You shall know that the Lord is all that he claims to be. Verse 7, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also, Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat in the evening and in the morning, bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Um, Jump down to verse 13. It says, so it was that quails came up in the evening. So here's the meat. They covered the camp. And in the morning, this, this dew laid all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there, on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as the frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And that's what manna means. It literally means in the Hebrew, what is it? It's, it's weird. It's something that's foreign but it's this very specific provision of God. In the midst, so here's, sit in, sit in the story. God's saved, God is redeemed, and God is intentionally bringing about circumstances in the life of a culture to bring about his will. There's a 
testing that's going on. And in the testing, it is to break the world. It is to break unbelief out of our soul and bring us to this position of what kind of child of God are you going to be? Are you going to be a child of God who believes and trusts in the Father, or are you going to be a child of God who is in constant rebellion against your Father? All of our stories take us down the path of rebellion, of complaining, of not trusting. And even in those positions, God is good. He is gracious. He is merciful. So here in the midst of this complaining, God hears it. He corrects them in it. He convicts them of it. And he still provides what they need. He knew that they needed bread. They're 45 days out. They've burned through their provisions that they brought out of Egypt with them in a rush. Their bellies are starting to rumble. They've sat in bitter water already. God has provided water. They want meat. They want bread. They don't have it. They're looking to their leaders to provide. So they're grumbling and they're complaining and they're getting bitter. And God's the one that put them in that position to bring it out, to say it, to not hide. And then to get corrected in it, to turn their attention back to faith and back to trust in God. And then he gives them this incredible provision. Sends this wind to bring in, here's all these birds. But in this, they need to go collect the birds, right? It's not that they just sets this, uh, here's this slaughtered animal. It's already been defeathered and gutted and roasted and you just ordered your meal and there it is. They got to go through the work of gathering. Same thing with the bread. In its day, every day, you need to go out and you need to do the work that God is telling you to do. And through that process, God is going to provide for you. This isn't sitting back on your laurels and just waiting for God to do everything. This is engaging him in a relationship. And this whole imagery ends up uh, being this picture of God as a provider. This manna shows up every single day except the Sabbath day for four years in their entire journey in this, in this season of the nation of Israel. But in this, God gives them instructions in regards to when you go gather today in its day, don't leave anything remaining. What you gather, gather according to your need and use it up today and I'm going to provide for you tomorrow. So when the people gathered too much, they gathered a little extra, didn't use it and just let it sit there. What did it do? The text told us it stunk because it began to decay. Because the, what God provided for you yesterday is not what you live on today. You need a daily relationship with him. You don't live with him and his provisions and the miracles and all the ways that he showed up as, as your provider for you in history. You're living with him today and in relationship with him today. And if you're trying to live off of the experiences of the past, your relationship with him today, it's going to fester. It's going to stink. It's going to decay. It's going to drift because it's not, a, it's not an ongoing relationship today. You're living in a memory of what you would define as the good old days. God wants a daily relationship with you. That's this image that it's to provide. And then there's another miracle that's performed. So on the sixth day, I want you to gather extra. 
Because one day a week, I want you to just chill out and stop trying to produce and stop trying to work. And I'm giving you a day off. In February, we're going to sit in the Sabbath day, so I'm not going to get into that teaching. But again, the people refusing to just take God at face value for his word, they again, they went out on the seventh day looking for the manna to be provided. And every single Sabbath day, it wasn't there. And again, God testing them. I am who I say that I am. My word is going to be performed just as I said it was going to be performed. And in this relationship that we have together, I expect you to respond to me according to the way that I've instructed you. This is the prayer for the daily bread. So how do you think that they lived in that lesson? Do you think that they were successful for all 40 years in obedience to God after the first instruction? Sometimes they did all right for some seasons. Again, there's individuals. So sometimes the culture did all right as a whole, but some individuals are still going to struggle and vice versa. Sometimes individuals were spot on, but the culture as a whole was off. Now I want you to turn to Numbers 11 because how Numbers 11 ties into this is a timestamp. So out of that, they're 45 days out when God gives them this manna. At 90 days out is when they arrive at Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where God shows up. He speaks to them. The Ten Commandments are provided. Gives them the instruction for the tabernacle to be built. Here's this building that's going to image in every way that God is dwelling in your midst. All that imagery that's going on. God's giving them all of this information. They spend the next year at that location. So as we jump into Numbers 11, it's at the end of that year. So they were 45 days out when the manna was first given. They're now one year and five days out from that provision. So it's, they've just clicked over the calendar. So as we're turning over the calendar year... It's been a year since we turned from 22 to 23. So if you can remember December 31st, 22, that's how long ago this scene that we're going to step into in Numbers 11 is. Okay, it's been a year. It says, now the people complain. And it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. It says, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the Lord Tibera, which literally means burning because of uh, the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now, this isn't a physical fire. This is, there's, there's a plague. There, there is something, there is a judgment of God that is very real that is occurring in the community because of the community's complaining against the Lord. And his anger is aroused, and he's taught them the lesson multiple times. And when we, the first time you fail at something, Grace is a little bit easier, right? As a parent, your child keeps failing to do the same thing. The consequences become more and more harsh until they get it. 
And that's the same thing in our relationship with the Lord in so many ways. He's gracious to us. He's merciful. He's patient. But as we keep stumbling in the same way, the consequences become greater and greater to different degrees according to his will. And that's what's going on in the scene. It says in verse 4 that there's this mixed multitude. So children of Israel have come out of Egypt, and there's a bunch of Egyptians that have come with them also. There's this idea of the mixed multitude, that being racially, and a mixed multitude of that, those who have faith and those who are remaining in their idolatry and their unbelief as God is trying to break all of this out of them. So this is this idea of the mixed multitude. It says, who were among them. It says, they yielded to intense craving. So here they are in their relationship with the Lord. They're a year out. They got a year under their belt but they've got this intense craving that's going on in their soul. And this idea of intense craving, it's a desire for something that God does not want you to have. It's a desire of the flesh. And there's this scene that bounces back and forth. In this scene, Moses is so frustrated. Moses is so depressed. In verse 13, He's saying to God, God, if you're going to treat me like this, please kill me here and now. This is Moses. This is the lawgiver. This is the guy who, spending all this time face-to-face with God, spending all this time mediating on behalf of the people for God, incredible spiritual and physical experiences in his life. And in his frustration and his despondency of the complaining of the people and the repetitious of that complaining, Moses' prayer to God is, God, if this is what you're dealing to me, would you just take me home? Real emotions. People are hard, yeah? I'm, I'm a hard, I, have enough, I have a hard enough time dealing with myself sometimes. But we start having all these opinions about other people and people don't do what we want when they want them to do it. And my opinion's correct on everybody. So if they just lock into my will, everything would be all right. Anybody else have those emotions? Again, don't raise your hands. But he says, if I have found favor in your sight, don't let me see my wretchedness. Moses knows that he's struggling. He knows that he's being wretched in his mind and his heart. God, I don't even want to look at my own wretchedness in this. He's at his wit's end. And in the next scene, there is a provision of 70 other leaders to help Moses lead the people. Because they're complaining for a variety of reasons. And God takes the spirit of God that he's placed upon Moses and places that same spirit of God upon these 70 others. And here's a provision of God to help. Very real, very practical way of Moses needing for the provision. He needs something now and he's despondent. And God provides in his toddler prayer. God even provides in that. But in this complaining, the people are sick of eating the same what is it every day. Any of you get bored with your diet? They're sick of eating the same thing every day. 
They're sick of their manna waffles and their manna pancakes and their manna banana bread. Maybe they didn't have banana, but everything that they make, three square meals a day, what they're eating day in and day out for a year, it's manna. I'm bored. The daily provision that I want today, Lord, I want it to be different today than you gave me yesterday. And this is, this, is, this is something about, you know, when you sit with uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. So often life can feel like Groundhog Day, like you're just going through the motions. Today is the same as it was yesterday. And you can get despondent and depressed. And this prayer, praying, praying for your daily provision and daily relationship with God, these are the ideas that he is bringing out in this. So in this judgment... God says, you want some extra food? I'm going to send so much meat in your direction that it's going to come out of your nostril. It's, It's humorous, but here's the danger of having an intense craving in your soul that God does not want you to have. Sometimes God is willing to give to you your craving that is not good for you. God sends these quails to them in this chapter 11, and they all start hitting these homers. They're collecting all of these birds, gathering all of this meat. We're going to have such a feast. They've prepared the meal. While the food is in their mouth, God sends a plague. This is what you wanted have it. And there's a consequence. And in this, it says uh, in verse 34, I think, it says, so he called the name of the place Kibroth Hetavah, which literally means the graves of craving, because there uh, there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. We're not going to get into John 6 because we don't have time. But I'd encourage you to sit in, go and read Exodus 16 in all of its context. Then jump a year ahead and go read Numbers 11 in all of its context. Then in light of what Jesus is instructing us in our prayer, now go jump and read what Jesus has to say in John chapter 6. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus is always, he's always getting to the heart of the matter. But what he is getting to, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the what is it. I am the only thing that is going to satiate and satisfy your intense craving. You think that you need this laundry list of stuff. What's, what's your laundry list? I need this job, I need this salary, I need this many vacation days, I need this number of children, I need this house, I need this community, I need this government. If I have this laundry list of stuff and of cravings, then my life shall be blessed. Is that what the Bible teaches us? If you have Jesus, you Worship team, come on up. So much so, so much so,
In, a, in, that, in that prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, this is, this is where we get the idea of we've run to God with our prayer. We've run to God with our request. And we've been talking to him. But the end of that prayer, it's, it's to him. To him be the glory. To him be the praise. To him be like his name and all that he's declared himself to be. Let his will be done in our life. Lord, here's my needs. Here's my cravings. Change my heart. Align me with you. Knowing that whatever I ask of you, you are going to provide in a way that is super abundant beyond, like whatever adjectives, how many ever adjectives you need to compound how God is going to provide for you, that's how he provides. Exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that you would even dream or think of asking God for, that's who he is as Jehovah Jireh. I'm watching my sister nod her head over there. For those of you who know the story, God gave her a broken body five months ago through a stroke. And I'm watching her over there shaking her head in regards to she knows who her provider is. She knows what her recovery looks like. She has promises from him in regards to that recovery. She's processing through the daily diligence of here's the exercises that I need to do every single day to help retrain the brain and participate in the recovery process that God has for me. In this prayer that God is teaching us, he is drawing our hearts and our lives in. And with this simple question of do you trust me? Not only do you believe that I am, God is spirit, intangible. I believe that he is, but I can't see him. I can't touch him. But do you believe in me that I'm going to give to you as a gift day by day, today, tomorrow, and for all eternity, exactly what I have planned for you in your life? Do you believe it? And when you engage God in that kind of prayer, that kind of faith, it doesn't matter if your brain's gray. It doesn't matter if the circumstance is horrific because you know that he's there and you know that he's going to make himself known and provide for you whatever you need beyond your wildest imagination so that when you sit in today, you can look back in history and say, oh my, what a provider. So now as we turn to worship, as now as we turn to communion, that's what communion is all about. Jesus is the bread of life. And in John chapter six, he tells us to eat his body and to drink his blood as an image and as a type that he and he alone is our provision for everything. And because that's a hard thing sometimes, many people will turn away from faith and trust in Jesus Christ because 
what they're getting from them, they don't want. And then for the rest of us, we sit in, Lord, I've got no place else to go. I don't want to go anyplace else. Because not only do you and you alone have the words of life, you and you alone are life. And whatever you choose to hand to me, Lord, today, whether it's a cloudy day or a sunny day, I will have faith. And it's substantial faith because you are worthy to be trusted. And Lord, when I don't feel like it, transform me and change me and remind me. Amen? Here we go. Let's worship.